Let's open our Bibles. I'll do a shorter talk than usual. I'll do um, a few minutes shorter today, but let's open our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to continue the Nehemiah study that we're in for just a few more weeks. And let's also take a quick second, and if you would look up at the screen with me, and let's watch an excerpt from an interview with Mr. Incredible. No matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I mean, sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, for a little bit. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for, for 10 minutes? <laughs> you get to that point. Wait, Please? Don't, get, don't get up there. Uh, not finished. Uh, sometimes I think I just like the simple life, you know, relax a little and raise a family. Can any of you relate to Mr. Incredible? Does that sound like any of your lives? I, I just fixed this mess, and it popped up again. Um, for you kids that are in here, does that sound like any of your parents? How many times do I have to tell you, clean up your room? Or in my family, it's how many times do we have to tell you, Madeline, that the dishes go in the dishwasher? But... There are times that we sound like that. I feel like I'm always dealing with an issue, and sometimes it's, it's a lot bigger than just cleaning up a mess in the hallway. Sometimes it feels like our life. I, I just resolved this conflict over here, and now this issue over here keeps surfacing. Do you ever feel like no matter where you turn, there's always something that's unraveling or needs addressed or needs to be fixed? I want us to think today in our Nehemiah study about the problem with answers. The backdrop of the book of Nehemiah was a problem. The Jewish exiles who had returned from Babylon had not been able to rebuild the torn down walls of Jerusalem. So the protective defense of the city was shattered the people were vulnerable. It was unsafe. And it's really interesting what we've seen so far in this study, that when Nehemiah heard about the problem, he was living and serving in the capital of Persia at that time. And when he heard about the problem in Jerusalem, it was really interesting to see how he did and didn't respond. Because when Nehemiah heard about the problem, he did not pray that God would lob a perfect spiral miracle into the city of Jerusalem and command the walls to stand up again. And you know that God could have done that, right? If God could make the walls of Jericho fall down flat, God could have commanded the walls of Jerusalem to stand up again. In fact, when I play blocks with Malachi... It's pretty much a game of him knocking the blocks down and me stacking them up again. And God is able to restack city walls. But when Nehemiah prayed about the problem, he, he realized that God's preferred answer for a problem is a person. God was sending him to be the answer to the problem. In Nehemiah 2 verse 9, he says, I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So Nehemiah tells us that the cavalry is coming. 
The help is on the way, and that is amazing news. But, but, the, but the problem is that more often than not, God wants us to lead the charge. And when Nehemiah stepped into his role as the answer to the problem, he quickly discovered that there is a problem with answers. The problem with answers is that answers were made for problems. So if you were created as an answer to a problem, your life will be surrounded with problems. If your purpose, if your design is to fix this problem, then you will only fit in a context with some problems. If, if a problem was a puzzle piece, the, or, 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 the corresponding piece would be an answer. If, if we were assembling a puzzle, and one piece is an answer, and it was made to fit something, it would intersect with a problem. So Moses, confront Pharaoh and set my people free. Wow. <laughs> Esther, even though it's risky, approached the king and asked the king for mercy for all of the Jews living in Persia. What, what's your problem? What is your problem anyway? <laughs> What, what, what's your problem? What, what, what are you facing? What needs to change in your life? You know, it's really interesting. After Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, and I love the songs today about that. After he had his epic victory, defeating death and sin and the grave, he did the most curious thing. Isn't it interesting what Jesus did after that? He sent the Holy Spirit into the hearts and the lives of his people so that they could carry his answer into the world. But why did God do things the way he did them? He did not send the Holy Spirit to be the mystical force from Star Wars. He didn't send the Spirit to be this supernatural tsunami that's out they're fixing things. No, he sent his spirit into the hearts and the minds and the lives of people so that they could change the world. So we pray, God, would you heal this relationship? And God says, sure, I'll give you grace so that you can humble yourself and serve. We pray, God, would you touch that lonely student that always looks so, so troubled by their locker? And God says, absolutely, here's compassion. And here's courage so you can reach out. Or somebody prays, God, would you do something about the sex trafficking in Cambodia or addiction in this generation? And God says, yeah, let's put your house on the market. And I will go with you to Cambodia to make a difference. Let's sign up for some counseling classes online. And I will gift you and equip you to bring healing to people who need it. You and I are part of God's answer for the problem in our world. And because of that, we have a problem. <laughs> our problem is that we were created for problems. And when you are created for problems, you discover that the world doesn't stay fixed. There's always something else to focus on. Did, did any of you see the movie The Incredibles? It's amazing how these movies suddenly become old as we age. It's, it's been around a while, but do you remember the film? Was he happy when he took a break from being a superhero? 
know, I mean, for a while, everybody likes a break, but, but a break is designed to be a break, not, not a permanent state. He was actually very happy for a while. He enjoyed the break from solving problems, but there came a point when he realized I was made for solving problems. And since I was designed for this purpose, if I don't re-engage with saving the world, something inside of me is going to die. You were made for problems, just like Nehemiah was. But as soon as we accept our role as an answer for problems, a whole host of problems arises to meet us. In verse 10, right after Nehemiah says that the cavalry went with him, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And these guys were a problem for Nehemiah every step of the way. Verse 18, he said, I told the people about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Chapter 4, verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria that had mounted against the people, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, so he was the pesky sidekick, he said, what they're building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break it down. And so Nehemiah prays. And he prays, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They all plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Every worthwhile rebuilding effort gets opposed. We've used this study as a metaphor for our lives. And we're either rebuilding something in here or in relationships or something in our world. Every worthwhile rebuilding effort gets opposed. Sometimes the opposition that we face takes the form of ridicule and insult. In fact, when it says that they ridiculed the Jews, that word means to mock by pretending to speak a foreign language. So this was not only mean and insulting, it was racist. They pretended to speak in broken Hebrew, that they're mocking the the, the ethnic origins of these people, they, they taunted them. You stupid Jews. 
You really think this is going to sustain? If a fox jumps up there, all of your work is over. It's not going to last. It started with ridicule and insult. Then it moved to threats and intimidation. Who do you think you are? Have you ever tried to change a system that was broken? You ever tried to change a family dynamic that's been driving you crazy for your whole life? You ever tried to actually fix something in the world? Some things don't want to be fixed. Some systems don't want to be bothered. Who do you think you are? Coming, are you rebelling against the king? And if ridicule and insult and threat and intimidation can't get the job done, then sometimes there's threats of outright war. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. You know, this is why some people find it easier to make peace with the status quo than to actually try and change something in their lives. Sometimes it's easier to make peace with dysfunction than to try to fix it. You know, sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to pick a fight if you want to fix a problem. And not everybody loves that. Sometimes you have to say, I am not comfortable with this situation. This dynamic has to change. Something needs to shift. You know, not everybody loves making those statements. Not everybody wants to go there and invite the backlash that comes with trying to make a change. Um, but, but sometimes those statements are essential. Sometimes problems won't be fixed until somebody picks a fight. And it's interesting that the higher the walls got, the more progress the people made, the more frantic the enemy became. In verse 11, it says, Our enemies also said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. This is a boxing flurry. This is blow after blow after punch after shot. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wow. So I mean, was Nehemiah on a construction site or a war zone? It was both. And your life is too. You are living your life on a construction site and on a war zone. And so how do answers respond to problems? If, if you're an answer hanging around a problem, what do we need to know about answers? Let me give you three things. I'm sure there are more, but just from this text, I see three things that will help us understand our identity as answers designed to fix problems. So number one Answers do three things. Number one, answers see the future. Answers see the future. In fact, do you remember those words from the Bible that say, the joy of the Lord is your strength? Do you remember those words? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Aren't those happy words? Those are kind of cheerful words, kind of you can do it, go get them kind of words. Do you remember that those words came from the book of Nehemiah? It was actually Nehemiah, I think it was chapter 8, who said to these people at this time with a broken down wall and a fractured system and enemies all around them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Somehow Nehemiah had the ability 
to stand in the middle of brokenness and see the joy of the Lord. Somehow he was able to stand on top of a burned, fractured section of wall and see the entire wall rebuilt and the entire city restored. Answers see the future. Answers believe that there are solutions to problems. Sometimes if you've stared at your problem long enough, you forget that there is a solution. Sometimes if an answer stares at a burned-down section of wall for too long, they lose their ability to see the future. But answers see the future. Because an answer is designed to move the present into the future. But that's number one, answers see the future. Number two, um, answers understand the past. Did, did you notice when I was reading, did you notice the, the language that Nehemiah used when he addressed the enemies? That the three main enemies were Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. But did you notice that Nehemiah kept referring to them as Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab? He didn't usually just say Tobiah, Sanballat, and Geshem. He said the Horonite, the Ammonite, and the Arab. Why? Well, what was he doing? Nehemiah realized that the Horonites, the Ammonites, and the Arabs were ancient enemies from Israel's past. And anytime the past begins creeping into the present, somebody needs to call it out. Nehemiah was the answer to the problem in Jerusalem. And when it happened over and over and over in the past, is trying to bleed into the present, Nehemiah called it out. And every time he said the Horonite, the Ammonite, the Arab, he was reminding these people who they really were. He was reminding the, every woman, every man, every child who could hear his voice, you are God's chosen people. He loves you and he called you and he has a purpose for you. And these people in this setting are imposters. They're not part of what God is building here. And, and, and you are, are sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah. And every time he said the Horonite, the Ammonite, the Arab, he was reminding them that God made a promise to your parents that he would bless the world through you. And, and directing this toward us, do you remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 29? It says, if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I, I'm not Jewish, but apparently I'm one of Abraham's boys. You might not be Jewish, but you're one of Sarah's kids. And, and there are enemies to your soul that have no inheritance rights in your story. There are issues from the past that keep trying to surface and keep trying to tether you to the past. And God is saying, listen, imposter syndrome is an imposter. Insecurity is not real. Insecurity is tethered to fear. It's not tethered to truth. It's not tethered to reality. And so every time he called out the identity of the past, he was saying, there is a future that I'm calling you to. So answers see the future. And part of why an answer can see the future is because they understand the past. They know who they are and what they've been called to and what God has done and where God is taking them. So answers see the future. 
Answers understand the path, uh, 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 the past. And then number one, uh, three, one more. Answers face the present's fear. Answers face the fear in the present. You know, the, the words build, built, rebuild, rebuilding, rebuilt, show up almost 30 times in the book of Nehemiah. And this entire rebuilding process happened in the face of fear. And I think if we look at our stories and we look at the things that we're dealing with, we realize the same thing is true for us. Rebuilding efforts almost always happen in the face of fear. Um, What if this doesn't work? What if I don't know how to handle this? What if it doesn't stay fixed? What if I do my best and it doesn't happen? Fear is the backdrop that problems get answered in. Let me read you several verses from chapter 6. Nehemiah 6 verse 1 says, When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates yet, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. These guys are persistent. And and your problems are persistent. And the past is persistent. Four times they sent the same message, and I had to give them the same answer. So then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, so the sidekick says it's true, it must be true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and that's why you're rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become the new king, and you've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a new king in Judah. Now, this report is going to go back to the king, so let's meet together and sort this whole thing out. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. By the way, we need to be able to discern when this fear is just being made up inside our head. This is not true. This is not what God would say. This is not reality. This is coming out of thin air. It's being made up in my own head. We have to have the ability to discern that. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Other translations say they were trying to discourage us so the work would not be done. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, who was shut in at his home. He said, let's meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized God had not sent him, but he prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And then catch this, he'd been hired to intimidate me 
so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Other translations say they were hired to frighten me so that in my fear I might sin. Every rebuilding effort requires us to face our fears. And any time we act in fear, we sin. At least I do. Anytime fear is motivating me, that's when I get too controlling. That's when I say too much or not enough. That's when I overreact or underreact. That's when we run around trying to put out every little fire, even the ones that would just burn out on their own if we just let them be. When we get intimidated, when the past or the problem is, is intimidating and threatening, when we shift into fear, it takes us away from faith, away from confidence in God, and that's when some of our greatest mistakes are made. If fear is your motivator, a lot of what you're doing is probably not in sync with what God is calling you to do. So an answer is able to see the future because they understand the past, and with all of that perspective, they're able to face their fear. See, when we forget who we are or whose we are, we're more vulnerable to discouragement. Fear brings discouragement, and discouragement makes us pull back from the work. You know, fear makes us lazy. Fear makes us timid and makes us shrink back from the things that we're really called to do. But um, I, I love Nehemiah's response. He says, should a man like me run away? Should a guy like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. You know, he wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't being cocky. He wasn't trying to have a swagger like a gunslinger from an old Western movie. He was speaking truth. I'm not going to run away from these problems. God has brought me here to solve these problems. And the perspective that comes with seeing the future because you understand the past and you're staring down your fears changes everything. When we remember who we are and whose we are, it puts fear in its proper place. And we're able to face it and overcome it. So I'm wondering today if you would be willing to make kind of a strange commitment with me. Have you noticed that we make commitments all the time in church? Have you noticed that? We make commitments every single Sunday. Somebody preaches a truth and we all commit to trying to live it and then next week it's Don's turn and he brings a new truth and we all commit to doing better at living that truth. But I'm wondering today if we would be willing to commit to our problems. Would you be willing to recommit to your core identity as an answer? And so when you go home today and when you wake up tomorrow, you would have a completely different perspective. It's not an issue to shrink from. It's a problem that I am here to solve. And by God's grace and full of God's spirit, I'm going to tackle this thing and I'm going to go after this. See, your problem is that you're an answer for problems. But your problem's problem is you. If we turn the tables, your problem has a problem, and your problem's problem is that you are the answer for your problem. So Ben and Amanda, don't be surprised when you move into your new life if you encounter some problems, because that's exactly the kind of place that God might send an answer. So don't be shocked if there's a problem in your classroom. 
Don't be, don't be stunned and staggered. Why is this issue coming up with our staff? Why are these dysfunctional dynamics happening here? Why is everything around me seems like it needs to be fixed? Well, it's your problem <laughs> because that's what you're created to resolve. And now I realize if a problem persists forever, yeah, we need wisdom. We need help. We need support. There's a whole message in here about how Nehemiah stationed people to work in groups. Friends and families partnered together to repair sections of the wall. So no, you're not a lone ranger strolling into town to fix all the problems by yourself. You need, a, you need comrades. You need a band of sisters. You need a band of brothers to support you. I love a verse in Nehemiah where it says, um, uh, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, No one should be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. It's one thing to have to deal with a problem. It's another thing to realize, I am on this earth to solve this problem. I was predestined in the heart of God before the foundation of the world for the 21st century for the issues facing us today. God's answer looks like the Holy Spirit in you. It looks like the wisdom of the counselor, the truth of God's word resident in you. And I want to just pray as we close today. I want to pray for a couple things. I want to go back to that thought that if you've had to stare at the same problem long enough, it affects your vision. And sometimes we need God to bring that miracle of sight to our hearts. And we need to realize, okay, I've, I've long lost my ability to see this thing resolved, but, 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 but that's not ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is the God who says, let there be light and light starts sprinting across the universe at what? 186,000 miles per second. The ultimate reality is that Jesus Christ is the answer for the brokenness in the world, and he has sent his spirit into the hearts and lives of his people to be his representative answers in the world. So I want to pray that God would open our eyes to be able to see the answers where we've lost the ability to see them. I want to pray that he would neutralize fear. Fear is so intense. It's so intimidating. What if they don't respond? What if our relationship falls apart? What if they don't hear me? What if I'm misunderstood? What if we don't come back from this? Fear is an imposter. Perfect love drives out fear. I want to pray that God's fear would go a little deeper into our soul so we could just eliminate that. And I want to pray just, um, we need some resolution in different parts of our lives. So Lord Jesus, today, would you do all of those things? Would you open our eyes? Would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you let us see solutions that have escaped us up to this point? Would you bind, neutralize, and banish fear in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? From every heart, from every mind, in the name of Jesus Christ, the, the faithful and true, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would you bind and banish fear? Would you illuminate the past so we understand the present? Would you do therapy on our soul? Would you fill and equip and empower us? And Lord, we recommit to changing the world and to answering problems in our world. 
And God, I pray that by this time next year, our host of problems would all be different because today's problems would be solved and we would be on to tomorrow's problems. And Lord, help us not to lose heart. Would you fill us with a sense of destiny and a sense of purpose? And let me pause my prayer for one second. I'm looking at the row of teenagers here. And you know, I, I was telling you I worship next to the Munsterman girls. Y you can be 10 and know that God has been faithful. And you can also be 10 and have lived through a lot of problems. A lot of the problems that happen to us aren't our fault. They're because of other people's decisions. And you can be a child or a junior high student or a high school student or a college-age student, and you're facing problems. This isn't just for old people. Young people can be dealing with things that this is beyond me. I didn't choose this. What in the world do I do with this? So Jesus, I pray you touch our young students here. I pray you touch our young adults, our high school students, our junior hires, our elementary school students, and give them what they need to navigate the problems in their young lives. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you see them, that you care, that they're not alone, that they were perfectly made to fit this world and to fit what you're calling them to. God bless every person that's here. Any person who's asking questions about faith or wondering or drifting or doubting or rock solid or anywhere in between, meet us, anchor us more deeply to what is true. Fill our hearts, fill our lives. Amen.